Welcome to another Principal Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries, as always. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, food brings people together and promotes community. And here at Principal of Hospitality, we are here to disrupt the current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. So that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia, on this season of Poe. Evan Shrove is from Sydney's acclaimed South Everly Bar Re and has claimed a coveted top 10 spot at this year's world-class bartender of the year global finals and has since become the 2021 world-class Australian bartender of the year. He has always been bartending and having grown up in Bathurst, his first job behind the bar was at one of the local pubs, Elephant and Castle Hotel, when he was 18 years old. Since moving to Sydney, he has worked in some of the most awesome venues, including Shady Pine Saloon, Frankie's Pizza, The Baxter Inn, and Restaurant Hubert before joining Bulletin Place in 2017. He's currently working alongside Scout London owner and previous podcast guest on episode 127, Matt Wiley at Sydney's New Re, a regenerative drinking experience pioneering a new approach to sustainable drinking. So it's a pleasure to have Evan on the podcast right now. Hey, Evan, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm, I'm very well. Uh, it's, it's good to be here. I'm excited. It's my first, first podcast. First podcast. I'm glad I'm popping the cherry. It's, um, it's awesome to have you on. <laughs> and um, look, I know we're both in lockdown in our, um, in our different states. Um, so I really do appreciate your time because I know it would be a very challenging time for you at the moment. Now, um, as I said in the intro there, you are the world-class Australian bartender of the year. Well done. Uh, I do want to talk about that in a minute, but as um, as you've got such a rich rich history in the in the hospitality industry and the bar industry, let's talk about you know how you got involved in the industry and how that came to be that you started to work with Re because we had uh, Matt on the podcast a couple of months ago uh, just before the bar opened in Sydney and it was just such an awesome podcast. We got so much good feedback from it, so want to hear about that that uh, intersection into that amazing bar. Yeah, how did I get there? Mm. Um, it's, you know what, it's not, it wouldn't be a dissimilar story to, to a lot of people. I was fresh out of high school, mm-hmm. I was 18, uh, and my parents really just wanted me to get out of the house and get a job, to be honest. So <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I was spending a lot of time at a pub called the Elephant Castle Hotel. I was there every weekend, so I figured, why not? Uh, why not get paid to be there <laughs> throughout the week? Love it. Uh, and you know what, that initially that was, it was just a means to an end. You know, I was pouring beers and I was young and I was having a really, really good time. Mm. Um, but, you know, there is, there's something really beautiful about that, that quintessential Australian pub yes. uh, environment. You, mm-hmm. know, you get to know your regulars and not only that, you get to know their partners and their kids. And, you know, as soon as they walk in, you've got a schooner up on the bar top and, you know, the desire to be seen and appreciated by people and, and your ability to anticipate that was was I guess uh, engendered at quite a young age yeah um, and then I moved to Sydney I think when I was about 20 okay uh, and I was I was studying journalism at the time mm-hmm. um, and majoring in philosophy for God knows what reason really uh, wow yeah yeah man <laughs> uh, I was smashing it I was I was on a scholarship mm-hmm. HDs for 
for days and I was, you know, a young country kid in, in the city and I was sure. having a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time uh, that I was studying, I was also barbacking at this this cool little bar called Shady Pines, which yep. I'm sure many of Absolutely. many of the listeners might have might have heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, a year on, you know, heading into my second year of uni, I was beginning to just not enjoy it. I wasn't I wasn't happy, and each day, kind of getting into tutorials was a was a struggle. Mm. Uh, and I was really kind of falling in love with the dark side, uh, and <laughs> and pretty quickly made that transition from from you know casual barback to uh, to full-time bartender. So I eventually got promoted and worked my way up through the ranks in Swill House for four or five years, worked across all the venues. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shady Pines was, was always my spiritual home. I bet. Uh, and I, I still think it's the best bar in the world. <laughs> totally agree. I've, I've never had a bad time at Shady Pines. What do you love about so, it the most before you get going? Like what, what, is, what does it really intrigue you about Shady Pines? Because I've been there as well and it's just, it's intense. It's lovely. It's, it, it is yeah. intense and I think it's it's the marriage of, of all those incredible elements of hospitality. You've got people behind the stick who are full-time career hospitalians and mm-hmm. uh, and are, are proud of the job that they do and then you marry that with a really kind of fun, energetic atmosphere and a unique fit out and, you know, you've got you've got all the parts there. Um, yeah, those, those, were, those were some some fun, fun experiences were had at, at Shady Pines Saloon, that's for sure. <laughs> I bet. Um, so what did you do after that? Sorry, I stopped you. No, that's all right. So after that, I applied for a bar manager position at the now unfortunately closed Bulletin Place. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the icons of, of the cocktail scene, not just here, not just in Australia, but probably globally. Yeah. Uh, the owner, Tim Phillips and, and Rob Sloan at the time, uh, took me kind of under their wing, and I don't think I've learnt more in that two to three year period than than I ever have before. So yeah, right. I went from kind of bar manager to general manager, uh, and just really worked on on this vision of of sustainable thought and respect for produce. And we we put together this incredible team, um, one of the best teams that I've I've ever worked with, mm-hmm. uh, and we kind of rose. Well, you know, I shouldn't say took the bar to, to number 39 in the world or whatever, but it was a proud moment when we did that. Wow. The Bulletin Place was always always very, very special and, and being part of that um, that cultural tapestry uh, was, mm. was very important to me. Mm-hmm. Opened, launched a, a brand of aperitif with Tim, who's yeah. now my, my business partner called Ruby. Yes. Available at a bottle store near you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, and then, and then COVID kind of hit and uh, I was, I was three, I think three years in, I was beginning to get to that point where I'm thinking about the next step. Sure. Uh, and COVID seemed like a pretty, pretty good opportunity just to take a step back and, and think about what I wanted to do. So mm. the plan was to open a pop-up bar, just for six months during the summer by the beach right. uh, with, with one of my very, very good friends. Uh, and, and that, that was, that was the angle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just didn't, it didn't come to fruition for, for a number of reasons, COVID being the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, and, and kind of looking back on that, I'm, I'm glad that it did not Yeah. Um, right. Just 
because we had no fucking idea what we were doing. We, <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of you know people who open their first bar don't often know what they're doing. They're kind of figuring it out as they go. Absolutely. But um, but you know, just looking back at the person I was 12 months ago compared to the person that I am now, interesting. Uh, there's so much growth. So I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that it didn't come to fruition. But you know, I was mm. afforded the opportunity to sit on a beach surrounded by amazing people for, for like three months it was the most like the most tanned i've ever been <laughs> <laughs> that's a positive right <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um so that so after that uh you know i've i've known matt for a while mm-hmm. when i was working at bulletin we went over and did a, a week-long pop-up at scout yep. um wow. during london london cocktail week and we did the bulletin place thing and created a new a new menu every day mm. uh and I kind of got to know him around that period and, and coming back to Sydney, I, I was aware that he was opening a bar. I wasn't quite sure what that was going to look like or what okay. the concept was like. Yep. And man, he, he sold it. He's he, the vision, the vision that that guy has is, is pretty remarkable. And, and I've always kind of worked to uh, display or render this, this picture of bartending and, and cocktail making and hospitality that is sustainable and it's inclusive and, considerate and real so re uh, really kind of resonated with me and i think it took us it took us forever to open there's always setbacks when we always when we try right. to open mm-hmm. a new bar but um but yeah that's where i am now so i'm currently the the operations manager at re nice what yeah for those people who don't know about re like how would you how would you say that it is different to like a normal standard, really cool kind of, you know, yeah. inner city kind of bar. Like how, how is, what are, what are the things that are actually different that are noticeable with inside the yeah. bar? So it is, it is that it is a neighborhood cocktail bar mm-hmm. that does gin and tonics. It does really good wines. It mm-hmm. does obviously does incredible cocktails, but everything is kind of underpinned by this vision and, and hopefully eventual destination of, of being zero waste. Um, so the way that kind of manifests itself is in uh, the construction of the venue is all is all uh, built from you know sustainable materials and recycled mm. milk bottles and and you know pineapple leather for the seats and that kind yes. of thing, uh, and then that kind of vein runs through what we do with with our product as well. So not just attempting to use as much of the fruit as possible, but really considering where it comes from, mm. uh, rescuing a lot of, a lot of fruit that, you know, is often destined for landfill and that kind of thing. Uh, it's really incredible. You know, it's, it was a real shift in your mentality. You know, you, you are almost forced to stop and question everything, every aspect of the venue that your hand touches, you know, yeah. it's like, could we be doing this better? Is there a better way to do this? How can we communicate to this supplier that this particular aspect of their practice needs to change? Yes, um, man, there's, there's, it's a learning curve. There's, um, you know, things that we've failed on and there's things that we've, we've succeeded on so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to note that we're not zero waste. Mm. Uh, and when we probably, we probably won't be for a while, but it's it's that journey. Yes, you know, it's that progressive build up of successes. Yeah, uh, it's the intent lead. more than anything, right? Exactly, it'll yeah. eventually lead to that destination. Also, we so we hope. Yeah, you know, you sort of talked about you know twelve months ago, you were having this shift in your mindset about what you actually wanted. Do you find that 
that re and obviously knew Matt before, as you just said, but did you find that sort of was a happy intersection moment that we like, okay, well, obviously we want to focus on different things. You know, the six months fun beach bar didn't work, but then, <laughs> but then Matt comes along and wants to do this really, really inventive, you know, first ever done in the world kind of yep. mentality around this bar. Like, do you feel it was just, it was just right place, right time for you? A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. It's, um, it's all the things that I love about the industry. Uh, and, and doing it with, with people who also are passionate about it. You've got this um, this juggernaut of a team that all have the same the, the same ambition and goal. So it's mm. you know, it all just made sense at the time. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about this world class you know bartender of the year uh, award yep. acclaim that you've that you've got. You're the best bartender in Australia, uh, one of the top ten in the world. Um, how did that come about? How does it? How does it feel first off, but how did it come about and talk us through the challenges that you need to go through to actually get that, that title? Awesome. So for, I mean, a lot of people, for a lot of people listening, the, the concept of a cocktail competition globally, you know, presented on zoom might seem a little bit foreign, but essentially world-class is, is the biggest and, and best of those competitions. It's run every year, each year. Uh, there's a different national winner here in Australia, just as there is in, you know, 50 or 60 other countries across the world. There's different challenges that they have to do on a national level, like a, you know, like a speed competition and then like mm-hmm. a, a signature serve and all these things. And then the national winners crowned and usually they'd go off to uh, a host city to compete for the global title. Sure. Uh, this year, obviously uh, travels, impossible yes. uh, it was i think it was supposed to be in madrid but you know it couldn't happen so yep. essentially the the global final was conducted via zoom or, or via you know via um virtually i should mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. Uh, essentially there were four core challenges uh there were four groups 50 50 countries seated into four groups, mm-hmm. four challenges, and then the top 10 were the, the people who scored best in those four challenges. Mm-hmm. The top 10 then competed in like a, a speed round, not a speed round, but a, a storytelling round where they had to make a number of cocktails for the judges. And then the winner was announced off the back of that, who uh, the guy's name is James Grant from Canada. Absolute nice. like weapon. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> What what about the national titles? Were they done in person or were they done virtually as well? Yeah, they were done in person. So the it was slightly different. I think usually you go from like you know, how many thousand entries to the, the top one hundred, uh, and then the top twenty right. uh, come together and compete. This year it was just the top three. Right. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think I think that was probably because of you know travel limitations and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, top three, uh, we had to do we had to do kind of like a Master Chef mystery round, right? Mystery box challenge where yeah, we right. you have like five minutes to access the pantry, put together a drink on the fly, uh, tell a story around that cocktail, and then and hopefully you do well. Uh, and then there was a the kettle one challenge is always kind of geared towards sustainability and community yep. and, and positive impact. So that was, there was a kind of signature serve around that. Uh, and then the speed round, which was like pump out seven drinks in five minutes in front of a live crowd. And well, wow. yeah, good <laughs> well, vibe. What was the hardest one out of those to do? Uh, the mystery round for sure. Right. Okay. Mystery round. I think 
the the more experienced you get in the industry and in bartending the more natural things like speed rounds become to you right okay you yeah. kind of learn to block out a lot of this a lot of the the crowd and you figure out a bit of a a, a run for, for how you make the drinks and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the kettle one challenge, you have weeks and weeks to prepare. So it's right. the one you're probably going in feeling the most confident, confident about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the mystery round, you know, who knows? <laughs> 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 who knows what they're going to throw at you. Can, you. can you talk to us about what you did do in that, in that mystery round and what, how you sort of developed the story around the drink? Uh, yeah. Whoa. It's crazy, right? The start of the national competition and then – the journey to the end of the global competition is like three months. Like it's yep. so, it's so long. Uh, but I essentially themed uh, my presentation around this concept of Yindyamada, which is the Wiradjuri uh, term for kind of respect and, and respecting the land around you and the projects around you. So I just kind of spoke about my upbringing and my journey and linked that back into the different ingredients that I was using wow. uh, and, I think I I think I won that challenge, so well must done. have been all right. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it hard even to like when you're when you're doing a new cocktail list, a new beverage list to sort of keep fresh and, and different ideas and, and, and play around? Like is, is is it do you ever get sick of being inventive all the time or is it something that you just you just love and you just in it all the time so you're constantly having ideas? Man, there's days where there's days where the last thing I wanna do is go in and, and try and brainstorm a new drink. Yes. But at the same, at the same time, you're constantly looking at things around you, like weird, weird example, but I was, I was having a shower the other day and I was reading the ingredients in the conditioner bottle and, you know, you've got like rose <laughs> geranium and you've got this and that and the other. So there's like inspiration everywhere. Interesting. Um, but yeah, you have off days, you have off days where you just, just get me in. I'm going to make these drinks. I'm going to have a chat to people. And I really don't want to have to think about brainstorming new stuff. Mm. But, but you know that that being said i think it is potentially a lot easier for us now to do that to remain creative you know you've got the the access to knowledge and, and information now is instant it's in the palm of your hand you know yeah. most bartenders probably follow 50 60 other bartenders from across the globe and, and that that transmission of of recipes and inspiration happens like that so yeah there's a constant stream there if you need to tap into it yeah right so is it is it that that when you're thinking about i'm not i'd love to know how you guys pull together a new a new drinks list at re but like is it is it just constant information that you might put to the side and okay well i'm going to try that drink or that could be good for like the new seasonal approach we're going to take for this kind of concept or whatever or is it is a sort of sit down focus let's go let's go through a drinks list and let's think about what we're what we want to do because the reason I ask is I, when I talk to chefs and when I talk to pastry chefs on the podcast, I usually ask them pretty much the same question. And and how do they, how do they create that identity around the meals and the ingredients that they want to do for their menus? So how do you guys go about it? It's, it's vehemently uh, seasonal. Yeah. Like we, we rather than, you know, changing the menu, the whole menu once every couple of months which doesn't make any sense like produce changes weekly yeah it changes daily you know structuring your menu and developing it in that way to me doesn't make a lot of sense so essentially we have uh, a direct line of communication with the the guys at the markets 
uh, each day they'll send us a bit of a report. And this is not, this is very similar to Bulletin Place, I guess, only at mm. a different uh, timeline of the produce kind of ripening. Yeah. Um, but they'll send us a list of what's uh, in season, fresh to start with. And then they'll send us a list of anything that they have excess off of that they that they don't expect that they'll be able to move. And, wow. you know, that's the stuff that is destined to get thrown out. Yep. Uh, yep. And then also things like, you know, blemished fruit and, and you know, those, the, I forget what they call them in Harris Farm, but, you know, the ugly fruit. Yes, uh, yep. So our menu, our menu is is geared around the seasons, mm-hmm. um, and then in terms of how we produce, uh, sorry, process that produce, it, it depends on on what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not necessarily a link from each drink to each drink. There are sections, so we'll have like a a spritz section because it's scientifically proven that. Things with bubbles in them make it more delicious. So that's just, <laughs> uh, and then we've got a classic section and then kind of a signature section. And that's where we get to kind of uh, spread our wings a little bit and get a bit, get a bit weird and creative. And then we've yep. got an R and D section, which is that's the, that's the like proper weird conceptual menu. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's all, it's all based on what's fresh, man. It's mm-hmm. very simple in that regard, but, but then the, the application of technique, uh, is is quite advanced. So we we do everything from you know ferment our own wines to distill our own spirits like yep. that. We the the hand of Reed is attached to every ingredient that mm-hmm. we use. Yeah. Yep. What do you, what do you think sustainability's place right now? Because obviously you talked about you know the aspiration aspirational goal to be a zero waste bar and and you know luckily we're now having industry which is which is talking about sustainability, talk about food waste um, a lot, lot more, um, even if we're still at aspirational stage across the country. Mm. Like how do you sort of feel when you're talking to other people in other bars and other hospitality people in the industry, like where sustainability is right now? We've got a long way to go, I think. I think Mm. there's often an air of uh, not suspicion. I don't want to say suspicion, but – cynicism yeah when it when it comes to that kind of zero waste mentality operating as a bit of a marketing ploy or a yeah. label yeah understand. Uh, to, to get bodies through the door mm. uh but we it's it's not us i think and and it, you know you look at the the giants of the industry you've already done it places like white lion and uh silo in london and, mm-hmm. and future food systems down there in melbourne yep, in, yep. incredible vision and and done not because it's a label or a tag, but because we're becoming more committed to our future yes. and its continuation. Like yes. it's, it's, it's that makes simple. sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the, and the reason um, we're soon we're gonna we're gonna kind of start posting online our successes and our failures, so it's all transparent. And the reason why we're doing it is so that we can show that there is a template to be able to operate this way, whether you do it vocally and screaming it from the rafters or whether you do it just as standard operating practice. Yeah. Uh, there's a template for that that is financially viable. Like mm-hmm. you can operate a business this way. The business can be successful and you can make money from it. And it's, you know, and it can intersect whatever other concepts you have at play in your venue. I mean, mm. that's, that's probably the, the, the vision that we all, all share at Re. Yeah. Do you think, um, do you think as well, like I, I probably got wind of it when I talked to Matt a couple of months ago, do you think it's um, creates 
you need to have much better connections with your supply chain than maybe what you did before. And it sounds like you kind of had that at Bulls in place as well. But like, do you think it just means that that supply chain, that person who's delivering all that great produce, you know, every yeah. day, you're like, you just need to have much bigger connection with them than you ever do rather than just caring about the price point that they're delivering stuff to you at. 100%. And that's honestly, that's the hardest thing. Like you can, yeah. you can use every single part of an orange at the bar. Like that's easy. People have been doing it forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But convincing, you know, or trying to get suppliers on board so that your sugar isn't delivered in plastic and, you know, all these, all these different things kind of, we all back to the way that suppliers have been operating for a very, very long time and trying to get them to change that, uh, that way of doing things just for a small bar in Everly is tricky. Super so yeah, yeah. A lot of the time the, um, the kind of hurdle or the, the obstacle to approaching zero waste doesn't come from within those four walls. It's, it's inevitably outside of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it just needs, it needs almost, pressure i'm going to use the word pressure because i can't think of another word to use it needs pressure from other venues in order to be saying the same thing to the to these suppliers in order to you know create a movement almost right we've seen that with sustainability packaging and 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 that's yeah. where that's come from 100 you know? it's like it's supply and demand 101 if yep. there's enough if there's enough people uh demanding or requesting uh the that that way of operating then then suppliers and producers and market providers are going to be more inclined to jump on board yeah. for sure. Yeah. Do you think, do you think Evan, that people are now realizing how important, especially venues like bars are now to their sort of, to their, I'm going to just go with me here, like their well-being and their sense of community and their connection with people than ever before. Like I've noticed that in cafes, like because of the lockdowns that have happened and, the challenges around like unfortunately we can't sit in bars right now but like but you can still have that connection if you go and pick up something from you know from from re at the moment and go get an amazing uh, an amazing cocktail to take away and that kind of thing like do you do you think customers now realize the importance of that connection to sit down a bar and have a cocktail and have a chat and be in an environment yeah absolutely i think you know this is that age-old saying you don't know what you've got until it's it's gone right yeah, and then exactly. covid's COVID's taken out a lot of our capacity for human connection away from us. Uh, yeah. And I guess that, that would have probably uh, shone a spotlight on, on how big a part of our life that connection plays, whether it's in a restaurant or in a bar or in a cafe. Mm. And, you know, every, every, man, I'm so excited when someone comes into the bottle shop at Ray, like I'm buzzing. <laughs> and, you know, as soon as lockdown's over, that first week of hospitality is going to be incredible. Yeah. It's going to buzz, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's reciprocated mm. on the other side of the, the bar mm. as well. Yeah. What do you, um, what do you think about no alcohol drinks at the moment? I mean, I know it's probably, it's really, really driven um, a lot of change in the industry the last 12 months, I think, because people, you know, we're drinking a lot more alcohol probably at the start of the pandemic and now they've probably switched to some no alcohol offerings and, and those have come through really strongly in sales. Yeah. Like wh- what are your sort of feelings around that as a classic kind of bartender yeah. and moving? Fan- fantastic. Awesome. Um, you know, the, our, the, way, the way we create drinks hinges not necessarily on the alcohol that we use it's it's hinges on our, on the creativity and the story that we're trying to tell with produce and yeah and all of those things and there's no reason why someone who 
for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, religious reasons or, or pregnancy or you just don't want to drink. Yeah. So there's no reason why anyone should be prohibited from accessing that that message. Yes, of course. Um, mm. And, you know, I've, I love a martini as much as the next person, but sometimes there's, there's days where, you know, all you want is like a delicious seedlet spritz or something, you know. It's, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There's no reason that our, our industry should always strive to be as inclusive as possible. Yeah. And what, so alcohol should alcohol shouldn't be a, a barrier for that. Yeah. I mean it's exciting, right? I think it's it's I think it's leading to a new conversation in in drinking culture and like what what experience people actually get from alcohol and not having alcohol and that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Um and yeah, sorry. It's it's a really creative space as well, man. Like mm. it's you know, you ferment something and you create alcohol and then you concentrate that through a still into whatever form it may be, gin, vodka, brandy, etc. Yeah. But coming up with creative ways to detach that alcohol and, and have it kind of represent alcohol, but not, you know, without, without the structure and the substance, it's really hard to do. It's yes. really, really hard to do. And the yeah, people who do it well, they, they're on another level. It's even more of a craft. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How are we sort of feeling about the bar community at the moment? Like obviously with the challenges that we're having worldwide and, you know, bars are usually the last thing to reopen because of, you know, the, uh, the size of the venues and, and that kind of stuff. And most of them are indoors outside of, you know, outside of summertime. Like do you feel the bar community is still really positive and, and hoping things yeah. are going to change and that kind of stuff? Like has it been tough? Uh, in Sydney, it's been pretty good. I think I think we probably have experienced the best of it. You know, we mm. – this is our – really only our second proper lockdown since the initial outbreak. And, yep. and it is tough and people are, people are struggling, man. People are struggling to fill their days and, and, you know, sometimes you'll crush it and you'll do a yoga session like I did today and Pilates and that kind of thing. And then sometimes you'll just sit in bed and watch Netflix. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I think as a whole, we, bartenders kind of, or bars, bars, will will, normality will resume. Yes. Eventually, yes. Uh, I think we all kind of understand that, and it's just a question of how much damage we take uh, in terms of, you know, revenue loss and 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 bar owners and operators being able to keep their doors open. Yeah. Um, you know, we've already kind of seen some of the some of the best and brightest close, uh, and hopefully we don't see too many more. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, we'll we will come good eventually. Yeah. For sure. Hundred percent, man. Yeah. Um, my last question to you is like, what, you know, other than becoming open again, like what exciting projects are you guys working on, you know, coming out of lockdown and what are you excited about next, Evan? Next, uh, we've got a couple of things on the go at the moment, actually. Mm-hmm. We, uh, where there's a, there's an initiative that Matt's kind of driving quite heavily called Never Wasted, which okay. I'm not sure he might've spoke to you about. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. essentially it's, going to operate as a closed loop system between, you know, eight, nine participants. Oh, yes, he did. Yep, 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 yep. Whereby they all come together, uh, bring an item of waste uh, and then kick that off to a different venue who then does something with their waste with a different venue and it's this kind of circular economy, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the success of that will kind of deem how much much it grows. Um, Yep, yep. The martini, so when, so I won the Kettle One Global Challenge mm-hmm. at, at World Class, which was about creating an initiative that impacted the community 
around us. Uh, my initiative was called the Martini Syndicate. Mm-hmm. And essentially, uh, it brought together about 50 venues from Sydney to uh, New Zealand to New York wow. to, um, to, to menu a kettle one special with $1 of each sale being remitted to this collective fund, which cool. then goes to carbon offsetting part, just a part of our, of our footprint, but it's done through the Aboriginal carbon foundation, which also kind of gives back employment and um, the transmission of, of indigenous cultural knowledge and ecological practice to, to uh, rural communities, which is, wow. which is pretty cool. So that's winning that challenge. Uh, I was, I think I won 4,000 euros to put towards the continuation of that project, which is that's fantastic, exciting. Yeah. So that'll grow. That'll grow. Uh, and then there's some other cool stuff that you can't that share yet. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Um, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast today. It's been great to meet you in person, um, albeit through a screen, but um, have a chat to you about, you know, your great, uh, your great win this year has been the bartender of the year in Australia and, and the amazing work you're doing, especially, Obviously, what's coming through other than the sustainability is it is a connection, a connection to country and a connection to indigenous culture, and and I'm really proud to talk about that in the show today. So thank you, um, and I know there's going to be so many people who want to connect with you. So what's the what's the best way that people can, you know, connect with you and learn a bit more about your story, Evan? Uh, I am guilty of uploading literally every aspect of my life to Instagram. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you can follow me at uh, at Evan Strove. And, cool. and yeah, reach out to me on there if you've got any questions or you'd like to have a chat or anything. Awesome. I'll make sure I link that up in this show notes of this podcast. Thanks so much, Evan. I really appreciate your time. Mate. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cool. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality, the podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this one. As always, please comment, like, and share this podcast your friends in the industry we're making this content with the industry in mind so we'd really appreciate your feedback and sharing it along thanks as well to our supporter the largest family owned and operated hospitality supplier in australia chef's hat where the industry shops and if you don't know us at poe sash my co-founder from principal design has one of the best design agencies in australia so if you're looking for anything from strategy branding digital design wayfinding and graphical design then you can find them at principledesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems processes to make your business run even more smoothly. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us. And until next time, stay safe. <laughs>